My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. We're told in the letters of Saint Peter, let not theirs be the outward adornment of braiding the hair or of weight in gold or of putting on robes, but that it be the inner life of the heart in the imperishableness of a quiet and gentle spirit which is of great price in the sight of God. For after this manner in old times, the holy women also who hoped in God adorned themselves. Today is the feast of St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. She's a patron of Europe, one of the three. She was born Edith Stein in 1891 in Breslau in Poland. The youngest child of a large Jewish family. She was outstanding, an outstanding student and well versed in philosophy with a particular interest in phenomenology. And while she had some early contacts with Roman Catholicism, it was a reading of the autobiography of St. Teresa of Avila during the summer holidays of 1921 that caused her conversion. Later in her life, she was to say that before her conversion, the search for truth was my only prayer. She was baptized on the 1st of January, 1922 in Cologne Cathedral. She wanted to enter a Carmelite convent, but her spiritual advisors persuaded her from immediately seeking entrance into the religious, religious life. And so she obtained a position to te teach at a school run by Dominican nuns in Speyer from 1923 to 1931. While there, she translated the work of St. Thomas Aquinas called Of Truth into German. She familiarized herself with Roman Catholic philosophy in general and tried to bridge the phenomenology of her former teacher Husserl to Thomism. She visited Husserl and Heidegger at Freiburg in April 1929 the same month that Heidegger gave a speech to Husserl on his 70th birthday. And so you can see from this that she was a very brilliant lady, very educated Jewess. She was searching for truth. And also she was growing up in Germany and being educated in Germany around the same time as the rise of Hitler. 
And so she became very familiar with national socialism. And later on, she was going to travel the whole of Europe, lecturing against national socialism. And so you can see how in that period, she was very much one of the intellectual enemies of Hitler. And she became a very public figure. In 1932, she became a lecturer at the Catholic Church-affiliated Institute for Scientific Pedagogy in Munster. But anti-Semitic legislation passed by the Nazi government forced her to resign that post in 1933. And so she experienced firsthand the brutality of anti-Semitism in all sorts of ways. She wrote a letter to the then Pope Pius XI, in which she denounced the Nazi regime and asked the Pope to openly denounce the regime to put a stop to this abuse in Christ's name. And so she saw all the evils that Nazism and National Socialism was going to bring to Germany. She didn't get an answer. It's not known whether or not the Pope ever read it. But in 1937, the Pope issued an encyclical written in German called Mit Brennender Sorge, translated as with burning anxiety, in which he criticized Nazism. And he listed the violations of the Concordat between Germany and the Church of 1933, and he condemned anti-Semitism. From a public relations point of view, to have the Pope on your side was very important. So Hitler tried to court the favor of the Pope and he wasn't at all happy with this document of the Pope Pius XII, Pope Pius XI. At that time, the Nuncio in Germany was the Cardinal Bacelli, who was going to be the future Pius XII elected in 1939 and was going to be a very strong, even greater critic of, of Hitler and the Nazi regime. Eventually, Edith Stein entered the Discalce Carmelite Monastery in Cologne in 1933, and she took the name Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And there she wrote her metaphysical book entitled Finite and Eternal Being which attempted to combine the philosophies of St. Thomas Aquinas and Husserl. And so you see, we have this very educated lady with great influence in the highest intellectual and philosophical circles, making her presence felt, defending the teaching of Christ in all sorts of ways, writing important books. It was thought that to avoid the growing Nazi threat, that she should move out of Germany. And so with her sister Rosa, who was also a convert and also a Carmelite sister, she moved to Holland, to a convent in a place called Echt. And there she wrote another book, Studies on St. John of the Cross and the Science of the Cross. Nobody ever thought that the Nazis would invade Holland. It was early days of the war. 
But even prior to the Nazi occupation of Holland, Edith believed that she would not survive the war. Going as far to write to the prioress to request her permission to offer herself to the heart of Jesus as a sacrifice for the atonement of true peace. And she also wrote her will. Her fellow sisters would later recount how she began quietly training herself for life in a concentration camp. She began to try enduring cold and hunger. The Nazis invaded Holland in May 1940, and the Pope issued a very strong condemnation of their actions. And this made Hitler so furious that he decided to have an even greater crackdown on Jews in Holland. And one of his main targets was Edith Stein. And so Nazi soldiers surrounded her convent and told the prioress that if Edith Stein and her sister did not come out, they would kill all the nuns in the convent. And so Edith and her sister Rosa surrendered themselves. They were sent to Auschwitz. And Teresa there died in the gas chambers in Auschwitz in 1942 at the age of 51. It's easy to understand how she captured the imagination of the future Pope John Paul II, Jewess from Poland, convert, great philosophical mind, follows a vocation to be a Carmelite nun, eventually dies a martyr in Auschwitz. And so in 1987, she was beatified by Pope John Paul II in Cologne Cathedral. And canonized by him on the 11th of October, 1998. And Pope John Paul proclaimed her a Jewess as one of the patronesses of Europe. And on that occasion of her canonization, the Holy Father said, out of the unspeakable human suffering caused by the Nazis in Western Europe in the 1930s and 40s, there blossomed the beautiful life of dedication, consecration, prayer, fasting and penance of St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. Even though her life was snuffed out by the evil of genocide, her memory stands as a light undimmed in the midst of evil, darkness and suffering. All the saints have something to say to us and all the martyrs. And in particular, this particular lady is a woman who did wonderful things, gave great example exemplified many of the virtues, love for truth, gave her life for truth, commitment, fidelity to her vocation, courage, fortitude. Cardinal Sara, in one of his books, reports that a Jew wrote on a slip of paper from the gas chamber, 
saying, Lord, remember also the men of ill will. We do not remember their cruelties. Remember the fruits that we have borne because of what they did. And grant, Lord, that the fruits that we have borne may one day be their redemption. Sarah comments that we should meditate on the grandeur of this message, which showed that the Holy Spirit was at work in the horror of the concentration camps. In the book of Daniel, God did not prevent the three young men from being thrown into the furnace. But he protects them because the angel of the Lord goes down into it with them. And so this story is symbolic. God does not spare us trials. But he tells us in Psalm 91, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There's a story told about Edith Stein that when she was searching for truth in her early life, when she wandered into a Catholic church in Cologne, she had never been inside a Catholic church before, and she wanted to see what it was like what was there. And while she was there, a lady came into the church to make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament with her shopping basket. And she knelt down and she said a prayer. And Edith Stein was observing this woman, was very impressed by the faith of this simple woman coming to make a visit to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And this opened up Horizons of faith for Edith Stein. She thought to herself, well, no Jewess would ever think of passing by the synagogue to say a prayer coming from the marketplace. And so the simple faith of this good woman was used by the Holy Spirit to light a fire of faith in the heart and mind and soul of a future martyr for the church and patroness of Europe. We never know how God is using the simple things of each day, the living out of our plan of life, of our norms, the witness we give in certain moments or places of a life lived consequentially on our faith. St. Josemaria has liked to talk a lot about the, the great contribution of women in the church. He says in some of his writings, women are called to bring to the family, to society, and to the church characteristics which are their own and which they alone can give. Their gentle warmth and untiring generosity. Their love for detail. Their quick wittedness and intuition. Their simple and deep piety their constancy. He says a woman's femininity is genuine only if she is aware of the beauty of this contribution for which there is no substitute and if she incorporates it into her own life. 
And so we're reminded that we, women in particular, are called to promote a Christian feminism in society. To promote in a special way the primacy of the family and the home. John Paul liked to say that every man that comes into the world is entrusted to the care of a woman. She's the one who teaches them how to love. Teaches them what it means to be human. And so the family is this school of deeper humanity where we transmit values. Where we try and build a civilization of love. There's a famous French saying that says the worth of our country is to be gauged by the worth of its women. So the Catholic Church in our teachings emphasizes and lifts up the dignity of women in all sorts of ways and continually. God wants us to transmit that message in all sorts of ways. Have great respect for women, to have details of refinement and courtesy, allowing a woman to go first, holding a door, helping a woman with small, woman with small children, complimenting her somebody who may be carrying life within her, letting her go forward in the, in the checkout line or other little details. And so Christian faith tries to venerate in all sorts of ways the concept of motherhood. And that concept has been enhanced still further by the, the lofty Christian view in which motherhood takes on an almost sacred character. And so in the times that we're living, we have to try and help mothers in particular. There's a famous doctor, Professor Robert Wally, who passed away last year, who liked to say that we hear an awful lot about women, women, women. But we hear nothing about mothers, mothers, mothers. He invited doctors in the 21st century to do something special for mothers. Particularly mothers who may be cooperating with God in the plans of bringing life into the world. Scott Hahn and his wife scoured the Bible to find negative comments about children, but they couldn't find any. The Bible doesn't say, blessed is the woman who only has one or two, because she will be able to provide for their college education. Or accursed is the woman who finds she's pregnant again. Or blessed is the woman whose career is more important so that she doesn't have so that you can have X number of years without children before she goes on to have a family. We find very beautiful things written about women in Christian literature, Dante, Shakespeare, Dickens, Claudel. There's a French historian who says there's no such thing as an old woman. Any woman at any age, when she is good or when she loves, can give man a taste of the infinite, of the infinitive of the infinite. And so we have to try and return this respect for women and for mothers in a special way to society. 
We can ask St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross to help us to do that today. St. Rosemaria was one of the greatest Christian feminists of the 20th century. He did enormous things for women all over the world, educational programs, formative programs, encouraged women to take their place in society, encouraged them to develop themselves intellectually to the full, like Edith Stein and many others, so that they can have a greater influence. In one of his writings, he says, development, maturity, emancipation of women should not mean a pretension to equality, to uniformity with men, a servile imitation of man's way of doing things. That would not get us anywhere, he said. Women would turn out losers, not because they're better than men or worse, but because they're different. They have different things to bring to society. But today in our prayer, we can look at this great woman and see the great legacy that she left to society, of virtue, of courage, of love for truth, of that desire to find the meaning and purpose of life. It's a important message for all young people today. And she must have looked at the silent recollection of Christ. She chose a silent vocation in Carmel. From the crib to the cross, silence, says Sarah, is constantly present. Because the problem of silence is a problem of love. Love is not expressed in words. It takes on flesh and becomes one of the same thing with the one who loves in truth. Edith Stein showed her love for God with deeds, silent deeds. She wrote a lot, but she didn't speak too much. She dedicated all of her great talents to the glory of God all over Europe. The strength of silence, he says, is such that it leads us to give ourselves even unto death, unto the humble, silent, and pure gift of our life. If we want to prolong Christ's work on earth, it's necessary to love silence, solitude, and prayer. Where we find a lot of these ideas manifested in the life of this great saint. And so we could ask her that we might learn how to pray like she did. To take the great steps forward in holiness as she did, that God may be asking of us, ready for anything. Inspired all the time by the example of our Lord. In Gethsemane, says Sarah, when the end is near and the apostles are sleeping, incapable of understanding in depth, the drama that is playing out. He remains one last night in silence, in prayer. In his final moments, nocturnal silence is Christ's companion. We could try to learn how to love silence, to seek moments of silence in our day, in our week, in our year. We need it for so many things. We need it also to contemplate and to see 
the great contribution that women have to make in society. St. Jose Maria says women like men possess the dignity of being persons and children of God. They're called to bring to the family, to society, to the church, characteristics which are their own and which they alone can give. It's not only outside the home that a woman achieves her perfection, as though time spent at home was stolen from the development of our personality. The attention given to our family will always be a woman's greatest dignity. The care she takes of her husband and children in her work of creating a warm and formative atmosphere around her. A woman fulfills the most indispensable part of her mission. And so it follows that she can achieve her personal perfection here. Each one of us have to try and see the great contribution that women make around us in the world. And every woman has to see the plans that God has for my life. What can I contribute? What can I do? Each human person can be very grateful for the women that God has placed in their life, their mother, their sisters, their aunts, their grandparents, their grandmothers. Just like our Lord must have been very grateful for the role of his grandparents. And in silence, we can contemplate all of these things. Silence when the cross comes. Sarah says the suffering of silence also be God's hallmark on a soul. When Edith Stein was suffering during her life, well, she couldn't have had any idea that 40, 50 years after her death, her life, her ideas, her example was going to be a, a great inspiration but not another Polish person was to become possibly the most famous Polish person in the whole of human history, a great leader of the world, John Paul the Great, inspired by this example of this Jewess, great philosopher, great mind, great love for the truth. So when we look at her life of martyrdom, we could try to make resolutions to accept with love as wanted by God for our growth, all the sufferings, physical and moral, contradictions, misunderstandings, miscommunications, sicknesses, limitations, even hatred or bitterness, hostility. Edith Stein experienced all these things in graphic ways. And she found her peace and solitude in a desire to co-redeem, to be with Christ on the cross. I rejoice now, says St. Paul, for all the sufferings I bear for your sake. And in my body, I fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the church. There's nothing lacking in the sufferings of Christ, but there are things lacking from our participation in those sufferings. And so Lord, when I look to the material world, help me to seek every day <clears throat> the little acts of self-denial that you ask of me. 
<clears throat> or the humble acceptance of the little crosses that you may send me, particularly the unexpected ones. Edith Stein must have contemplated the cross of Christ and asked for the strength of love to carry it. She found in Christ on the cross a book of wisdom, supreme love revealed. St. Augustine says the, the cross is a seat of learning. We learn things there. On the cross, we become Christ-like and put off the old person. And so there's a wisdom that comes with the cross. There's a light on the cross. There's a joy in the cross. There's a rest on, a rest on the cross. It's there that our sorrows are converted into joys. As Edith Stein went forward to her martyrdom, God must have given a great peace in our soul and joy as you look forward to the eternal happiness which you richly deserved. And so St. Paul says, do not model your behavior in the contemporary world, but let the renewing of your minds transform you so that you may discern for yourselves what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and mature. The life of Edith Stein was full of contradictions, things she didn't fully understand. But often, as one writer says, truth is a daughter of time. When time passes, truth becomes revealed. And so we need not worry too much about the mysteries of the cross or the mysteries of our life. In time, the truth of what we have tried to do will become apparent, as will all the fruits. And so we can ask St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross to help us, to give the same sort of witness that she gave, in spite of everything, to be generous in our carrying of the cross, and to look to her as the great Christian feminist that she was, living out and giving witness to the to the great dignity of women. And if we stay close to Our Lady, she will help us to give that same sort of witness in our apostolic life, in our professional and family life, same sort of witness that St. Teresa gave in hers. Mary, Queen of the Martyrs, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.